I was uh, very, very pleased with that invest video because uh, every invest video that there's been for however many years we've done invest, the person organising it always seems to manage to get a photo of me eating a donut. Uh, and, and I hope you noticed in that one, both photos were of me playing sport, not of eating. So I was excited. So get to invest. Uh, I encourage you strongly. Let's pray and we'll get this great passage together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us so wonderfully in your Son and you've spoken to us so clearly in your Word. So we pray now that you'll give us ears to hear and hearts that are softened to receive what we hear. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I remember a friend of mine, he's also a minister, I went to Bible college with him and uh, he decided he wanted to join a golf club. Uh, and he went for his, his first round and he turned up and he scheduled to play with three blokes he'd never met before. And just something I've learned over the years, when you're a minister, it's useful introducing that into the conversation really, really early before people swear. It's just something you do, you just say, and, and I'm a minister, just because when they start swearing and then they say, and what do you do? They then apologise to you for hours afterwards. So anyway, he gets up there, he introduces himself to these three blokes, and before he can hardly get his name out, uh, one of the blokes says, and I'll cut out the swear words, he says, I don't care what you do, mate, as long as you're not a minister, like the guy we played with last week. What do you do with that? Well, my friend said, well, actually, it's funny you ask. And uh, so for the next 18 holes, this guy's two mates were apologising to my friend. for them. Oh, he's not usually like that. Oh, he's not usually like that. He doesn't usually swear as much as that. Oh, and anyway, you're a much better bloke than that minister we played with last week and all those sort of things. But I'm sure, and I, I ask you not to look around the church when I say this, I'm sure we all have friends who we sometimes have to apologise for. Uh, because they speak out of turn. I sort of felt with that interview before that Wenny sometimes feels a bit like that. Anyway, no, but uh, because that... Sorry, Jackson. Yeah. And I'll try to keep the sermon short enough for you so you don't have to go for a break. But, uh, uh, but uh, you know what I mean. There's some friends who just sort of say inappropriate things. They say them at inappropriate times and you've got to apologise for them. Maybe you are that friend people have to apologise for. Well, this, this first story today is one of those moments where we are tempted to apologise for Jesus. Uh, did Jesus really just refer to people as dogs in this passage? It certainly seems that way. And when you read uh, commentaries on this passage, they spend pages justifying Jesus. It just seems like Jesus is really rude in this story. I don't know if you found that during the reading. But I want to say to you, never apologise for Jesus. Never apologise for Jesus, because what actually happens here is so wonderful for this woman, and it's so wonderful for us, because this passage is actually about why we can share in every blessing that Jesus offers. It's why every person can share in the blessings that Jesus offers. That's why I've called this talk Overflowing Blessings, if you look on your outline. Uh, so come with me, we'll look at these three little connected stories. So the first one I've called The Woman Who Just Wants the Crumbs, and that's verses 21 to 28. Now you've got to remember where we're at, what we saw last week. Uh, Jesus has had yet another run-in with the Pharisees. So the Pharisees are the Jewish leaders, they're the people who know their Bibles incredibly well, at least their Old Testament. Uh, and this has just been a constant theme in Matthew's Gospel. They will not recognise Jesus for who he is. They complain to him, they try and catch him out. And he's had another one of those run-ins. And so it says, Jesus withdraws to the area of Tyre and Sidon, which is over on the Mediterranean coast. But more importantly, it's a Gentile area. It's a non-Jewish area. 
and you can't help but think Jesus is sort of saying, I'm just going to leave these Pharisees behind for a while. But as Jesus and his disciples walk along, this woman follows them. Look at verse 22. It says, just then a Canaanite woman from that region came and kept crying out, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly tormented by a demon. And you notice there how, how, Jesus, how Matthew purposely uses the Old Testament word Canaanite. She wouldn't have thought of herself as a Canaanite, but the Canaanites were all the people other than the Jews that lived in the land, and they were the idolatrous people who were Israel's constant enemies all through the Old Testament. So she probably wouldn't have called herself that, but he's making the point, that's her background. She's an enemy of God's people. But already you see there's something special about this woman. She, even though she's not a Jew, even though she is not someone who should be steeped in the Scriptures, she knows something about the promises of God. Uh, she knows Jews are waiting for a son of David, a descendant of King David who God will send to be the king and the saviour. And she's heard about Jesus and she thinks Jesus might just be that king. And so even at this point, I think you're meant to compare her with the Pharisees. Compare her understanding of Jesus, compare her response to Jesus, her respect for Jesus with the whining and the argumentative Pharisees in the last chapter, or for that matter, with the slowness of the disciples who still haven't quite worked out who Jesus is. And so she's calling this out, but Jesus doesn't seem to respond, but she won't give up. It seems like this woman is just relentless uh, and the disciples just can't handle it. I love this. Look at verse 23. Yet he did not say a word to her, so his disciples approached him and urged him, send her away because she cries out after us. Now, I don't think they're saying tell her to get lost. Uh, I think they're saying just do the miracle. You've done thousands of miracles. We've seen all these great, just do it for her so she goes away. I remember many years ago, and apologies to anyone who I talk about in this story, I remember many years ago, uh, I was in the shops and my kids were whinging about buying a chocolate bar, and it was sort of like water torture, you, you, you know, so from the moment we went in, can we have a chocolate bar, can we have a chocolate bar, can we have a chocolate bar, and then they divide and come, can we have a packet of chips, because we know you're more likely to buy us one of those, can we, have a, can we have a soft drink, can we have a chocolate bar, can we have a chocolate bar, and I was doing the good parenting thing, I was saying, no, you don't get a chocolate bar every time you get, because they know I'm the weak link. That, that's, that's how they work. But anyway, I'm saying, no, no, you can't do that. And then this old man in the queue behind me says, just buy them a chocolate bar. Just get them to shut up. I think that's the disciples here. But Jesus' answer is very strange to us, at least. Verse 24, look there. He replied, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, this is so important. It's so important for understanding your whole Bible. It's so important. And we struggle with it because we know the end of the story. Who is the gospel for? That's not a rhetorical question. That's one for you to answer. Who, who is the gospel for? For everyone, for all people. We know that. We know that after Jesus' death and resurrection, he says, now go to all nations and share the good news. But we need to understand, though, that Jesus came first for the Jew. He came first for Israel. He was Israel's Messiah. God had a plan. John's gospel says Jesus came to that which were his own, the Jews, and he offered them salvation and forgiveness first. And some accepted him and they became the foundation of what we call the church, the, the new people of God. And it was from them that the gospel would then go out to us, unless you're a Jewish Christian, to us, to all the nations. The Apostle Paul talks about the church as being a Jewish vine that we Gentiles have been grafted onto. So Jesus isn't saying, I've got nothing for you, Canaanite lady. 
He's saying, I've got nothing for you yet. It's a timing issue. But she is so persistent. She begs him. She says, Lord, help me. And this is where Jesus says the line that that many people struggle with. Look at verse 26. He answered, it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to their dogs. Now, rightly, we would never accept calling one another dogs. It's not, not something you should do, but that's not quite what Jesus is doing here. Jews and Gentiles knew where they stood. So you see, Jews were the children of God. Jews were in the house, if you like. They got to sit at the table and Gentiles were outside the house. They were unclean. Every time they went to Jerusalem, they understood that because they were not allowed into God's house. They were not allowed into the temple like dogs. Jews would refer to Gentiles in that way and Gentiles then had their words for Jews as well. See, Jesus is actually repeating what he'd said in verse 24. My blessing is first for the Jews. It's not right for me to give this now to you Gentiles. That would be like a mother taking her food away from her baby and giving it to the pets, if you like. And I also wonder if we can't quite read the tone. I don't think we can see the glint in Jesus' eye as he says this. I think he's testing this woman. Do you really understand who I am? Do you really understand what I'm here for? And I love the fact that despite we modern readers getting offended on her behalf, who's the one person who's not offended in this story? The woman herself. Because her reply is wonderful. Look at verse 27. Yes, Lord, she said, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Isn't that a great answer? I love what this woman does because she is doing a Jesus on Jesus. You know how when the Pharisees come and ask Jesus their their sort of testing question, what does Jesus always do? He asks them a question back and turns it around on them. She does that here. She she says, I'll turn your question on its head, Jesus. I'm not asking you to change God's plan. I know my place, but surely a little blessing could overflow to a Gentile like me. And so Jesus replies, look at verse 28. He says, woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. And from that moment, her daughter was cured. It's a wonderful story, isn't it? I mean, and first of all, it's just a wonderful story of the power of Jesus. But why is it here? What does this story teach us? I've got three things. Firstly, it's a story about the importance of faith. It's the most important thing. Jesus says, it's your faith that is great. It's your faith that leads to this miracle. It's faith that saves. And we see this all through Matthew's gospel. All of these healings are illustrations to us of how we are healed. That's what they're about. How we are healed spiritually. How we are forgiven. It is by faith, recognizing Jesus for who he is like the woman does. And then trusting in him like the woman does. This story is here to show us the right response to Jesus, which is faith. But then secondly, there are some things about this woman's faith that are so important. First of all, her sheer determination to find Jesus is wonderful. I think that's the big theme of this story, isn't it? She she really is that person who stands at the door and will not stop knocking. And I want to say to you, if you are here and you do not yet trust in Jesus, please be like this woman keep knocking, keep grappling with Jesus, keep asking your questions. It is too important not to. But the big thing I want to point out is the way she receives Jesus's gifts with thanks rather than complaints. 
I love watching children's faces at Christmas time, or adults for that matter, when they're given a wonderful gift and you see the joy on their face, but then someone else is given a better gift and their face goes from joy to jealousy in a second. As I say, not just children. They go to thankfulness to jealousy because they forget, actually, a gift is not something I deserve. It's wonderful I've been given this gift. They got something better than me. Life's not fair. You see, that's not how gifts works. And so how tempting would it have been for this woman to be like that? And I've met many people who are not like this woman. Just look at verse 27 again. How tempting would it have been for her to say, well, that doesn't sound fair to me. Why is it first for the Jews? I want a seat at the table. Uh, It's not fair. Why wasn't I born a Jew? God's in control of everything. Why didn't he make me one of the inner circle? It's not fair. She doesn't do that. She knows God is God and she accepts this is the way he has planned history. And she is just so thankful that she can receive even the crumbs of his mercy and love and grace. Even the tiniest portion of God's love. See, behind this woman's faith is an incredible awareness that she does not deserve anything from God. And any gift she receives is just that. It's a gift. And that is an attitude we need to copy. Sometimes we can struggle with accepting some parts of the way God works, some parts of God's plan for the world and for people and for us. It's the why does God and why doesn't God questions. Why did God let this happen? Why why does God do it this way? Why didn't God just... And and there's thousands of these questions. Of course, we need to grapple with the scriptures to answer those questions. But there is a certain point where we need to say, I cannot know the mind of God on everything, but I do know this. I know that I am a sinner who doesn't deserve anything from God. If you like, I don't even deserve the crumbs under the table of his mercy and his grace and I know this I know that God is all-knowing and I know that God is all-loving and I know that he sent his son into the world to be my savior and so I am thankful that he gives me so much more than the crumbs I'm thankful that he gives me the complete unearned blessing of salvation and forgiveness and a place in his eternal kingdom that's what we need to mimic in this woman's faith Thirdly, this story is just a little hint that God's blessing is for all people. It's a little hint of the rest of the story that we then become a part of. Yes, at this point, Jesus was focused on the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But by the end of Matthew's gospel, he was saying, now go and make disciples of all nations. And that leads us into the other two little stories, which I'll deal with much more quickly. This is my second heading, so much more than the crumbs. And this is verses 29 to 39. So come with me now. After this, Jesus heads back from the coast across again to the Sea of Galilee. And we just get one of those wonderful little summaries of what Jesus did. Look from verse 30. It says, And large crowds came to him, having with them the lame, the blind, the deformed, those unable to speak, and many others. They put them at his feet. And here are the four most incredible words. It's just so matter of fact. And he healed them. Isn't that incredible? Don't ever lose your amazement at Jesus. This is absolutely amazing. Here are these large crowds of lame, blind, deformed, unable to speak, many others, and he healed them. There was a reason even Jesus' enemies could not dispute that he was a healer. 
in the historical records, even the people who, who hated Jesus admitted he did miracles because the proof was overwhelming. There were just too many people walking around Israel of that time who they knew used to be blind, but now they could see, who used to be lame, but now they could walk, who used to be deaf, but now they could hear. The, the proof was irrefutable. But these miracles should do more than amaze us. See, what they are is Jesus giving us a foretaste of what the abundant blessings of his kingdom will be like. It's what we saw when we looked at the book of Revelation, if you remember. We saw how we look forward to when Jesus returns, a kingdom where there will be no more sickness and no more suffering and no more blindness and no more death. death. We look forward to a world with no pain and no sin. In heaven, we are not just getting the crumbs off the table, we are receiving all of God's blessing. And I think that's the point of this final little story, the feeding of the 4,000. Come there now. As we read this before, did, did you have a sense of deja vu all over again? You know, we had this story already, you sort of think, I've heard this before somewhere. That's right, you heard it three weeks ago here at church. We read about the feeding of the 5,000 and it's nearly exactly the same story. And again, it's showing us Jesus is the one who meets all of our needs. Jesus is the one who provides the bread of life, life for all eternity. And again, it's not just crumbs. Jesus feeds 4,000 men and who knows how many women and children, and there are seven large basketfuls left over. See, like the feeding of the 5,000 a few weeks ago, this is a picture of what Jesus will give us. He doesn't just offer to meet your needs for a day. He offers to meet your needs forever. Look again at John 6, 35, which I pointed to a few weeks ago. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. That is the great promise of the gospel. That's what this meal is pointing us forward to. Come and trust in Jesus and you can be a part of that heavenly banquet. You will be with Jesus in that wonderful new creation where there is no more pain, no more suffering, no more hunger, no more brokenness. But there's something else going on here. Uh, in Mark's gospel, in the, in the equivalent story, he tells us this was happening in an area called the Decapolis, the, the Ten Cities, which was an area where Jews and Gentiles both lived. And it seems like Jesus is healing and feeding not just Jews at this point, but Gentiles as well. And the response at verse 31 tells us that. Look there now. See there, what, what do people do when they see all these miraculous healings? Verse 31, it says, And they gave glory to the God of Israel. I don't think a Jew would say that. A Jew wouldn't need to specify which God they are giving the glory to because there is only one God. But Gentiles do. Because they were moving away from all their pagan gods and all their idols and they were realizing there is only one God, the God of Israel, and you meet him by coming and listening to Jesus. See, yes, Jesus came first for the lost sheep of Israel, but starting with that woman, it's sort of like he can't help himself letting his love and his grace and his mercy flow out to everyone. It's sort of like a, a damn wall with a, a little crack in it and, and we saw the first trickle to that woman but pretty soon it's going to burst. The, the love of Jesus at this point was trickling out, the crumbs were starting to drop but fairly soon the wall is going to burst and the wonderful news of the gospel is going to go to every person on earth. 
Do you remember the picture of heaven when we looked at the book of Revelation? I've got it at Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. Thanks Tom. It says, after this I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, every tribe, every people and every language which no one could number standing before the throne and before the Lamb. See, that is God's church. People from every nation, people from every background, not just getting the crumbs, but receiving all of God's mercy, all of God's grace, all of God's forgiveness, all of God's love. What does that mean for us as I finish? Three quick things. First thing I want to say is, please make sure you are a part of it. Wherever you are from, whatever your background, whatever religion you were born into, come and trust in Jesus, like the Canaanite woman. God welcomes anyone who will put their faith in Jesus. And if you haven't put your faith in Christ yet, come and talk to me today. Be like that woman. It's urgent. Persist. Come and talk to me. I'd love to help you put your trust in Jesus. Secondly, It means we must never exclude anyone from God's church. That is anyone who wants to follow Jesus. Sadly, for 2,000 years, some Christians and many churches have not got this. They think the church is just for people like me. It's sort of like the American senator who who said we should just make everyone speak English because he said if English is good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. (laughs) No. See, it's when the church welcomes people from every nation that it is what it's meant to be. The idea of just one type of person being together is not a church. It's when the church welcomes people from every nation, every tongue, every whatever divides people normally. When we come together just because of our common faith in Jesus, that is what the church is meant to be. It's us being what God made us to be. And that means, thirdly, we need to invite everyone. It's why we send missionaries around the world. It's why we support people going to every nation. But here, now, we need to invite everyone. Sometimes I think, many of us, this is personal confession at this point, I think sometimes we think that person wouldn't be interested. Or perhaps we doubt God, God couldn't work in that person. That Muslim man, he won't be interested. You know, that atheist smart aleck at uni, he won't be interested. The gospel is for everyone and God can work in anyone. And so we need to invite everyone to come and trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful story of Jesus. We thank you for this woman's incredible faith. We thank you for her persistence. But most of all, we thank you that she recognized who Jesus was and sought his wonderful blessing. And Father, we pray that we might follow her example. But also, Father, we thank you that you have opened the doors to your people, to every one of us. And so we pray that we would never exclude someone from your church, but instead we would invite invite everyone to come and know Jesus as we have come to know him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.